Now and Again is brought to you by the Cage Club Podcast Network. For all things Cage, Keanu, and more, head on over to cageclub.me. That is cageclub.me. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Now and Again. This is now volume 20, um, the big two zero, almost old enough to drink. It's November 2005. And Nico is here, and he's brought a list. And I'm checking it multiple times, not twice. I don't, I don't like this intro. Fuck me, because he's going to keep it. That's fine. Yeah, I have a list. I have a document. I'm well prepared. I'm ready to take this now on. Now 20 is a monumental change in how now works, and it's going to be a massive shift in how we discuss now. This, in many ways, is the end of a now era. But it's one of those things... Um, I've been I've been thinking about this and like I have a pretty encyclopedic knowledge of Uncanny X Men and the the heyday of Chris Claremont X Men and stuff and sometimes I'm like I would really love to write some sort of like massive super annotated edition and it would just be the masterwork on the topic and then I think to myself but it's a topic that needs no masterwork and I should shut the fuck up and that's kind of how I feel about now twenty right now I feel like we're about to discuss like. Like, like, like Citizen Pain. Yeah, man, this is nuts. Let's bring it. All I could think about when you described that was, um, have you ever accidentally, like, stumbled onto Wikipedia? Like, the Star Wars wiki? It's, it's an absolute hell world. Every single page. One of the things I love about being married is, you know, when you're, when you're friends with people and when you're dating people, they can kind of force you into situations that you're not comfortable with and new places in your life. But when you're married... It's a nonstop onslaught of that all the time <laughs> because you live with the person. There's a ton of shows I never wanted to fucking watch. And I'm like, no, I'm not watching that crap. Oh, yeah, honey, I'm about to run to the shower. Oh, what's this? Oh, nothing. It's this show. Oh, oh, I, I'm i not going to watch that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go. And he's like, sure. And I'm just still sitting on the bed in my towel. And I'm just kind of watching Slackjawed and I'm just kind of looking at it. And that way that you, if you get sucked into a show you don't mean to be watching... Star Wars is something that I try and keep a tangential relationship with at all times growing up. One of the most important masculine forces, and by masculine I mean penis having not particularly masculine forces in my life uh, that love Star Wars was you. So ah. I had you, um, one of my... <laughs> okay, so that's where that went. <laughs> Sorry, I just needed to make myself have one of those loud, annoying, clipping laughs. Um, so... Uh, I have my buddy Adam. Adam is, you know, such a Star Wars fanatic. Um, and my husband. And, you know, so many important people in my life are just massive. I don't know. What do you guys call yourselves? Um, I mean, I don't, much like Rick and Morty, I refuse to identify myself with, like, anyone who's like, oh, yeah, like, I'm a Star Wars fan. You know, like, a real Star Wars fan. Like, I was there for the EU before they took it away from us. Like, there, there's just certain fandoms that I don't want to fuck with. And that is um, kind of one of them because they're. Man, children, not all, you know, hashtag not all Star Wars fans. But uh, if you've been on the internet in the last, like, I don't know, year, um, you've seen some real trash babies out there. So man, children is probably the answer to your question. I don't understand fandom's propensity to destroy itself. Oh, yeah. It's like, I just, I think, I think women belong in comics, period. End of the sentence. Like, I'm so proud that our company is two female line artists who are both part of the storytelling experience because... Women just have a different perspective by virtue of having lived a different life and different experiences. And I just don't know why you wouldn't want a more rich woven tapestry of different voices trying to say different things. And um, I just don't know why you wouldn't fucking want that. And and why wouldn't – I don't – I just can't. I just can't. I just can't. I just can't. I don't understand a resistance to betterment through shared learned experience and I just don't understand fandom's resistance to that other than you know I it's you know what is the mega equivalent of the empire um uh, the empire I think do do you mean like mega like because jedis have the force be with you and like the sith have like something something the know, power of the dark side I'm you're evil from my perspective uh, I I hate sand I hate sand it gets everywhere Ah, <laughs> uh, dude. Yeah. All right. Well, that's our ten-minute cold open. Oh man. You know, we actually had a few episodes without a cold open. I actually love our cold opens. Oh yeah. Probably my favorite parts of the episode until the baby bash bits. 
the show has improved, I must say, over the last 10 episodes. No offense to anyone who, you know, during the rotating guest star years, no offense to any of those people. Those guests were lovely, and the show wouldn't have existed if you didn't do the show. But, um, man, us just being dum-dums on the air together is... <laughs> it's at least given the show a... It's, it's, yeah, it, there's at it's least like um, consistency, even if it's, you know, much like George Lucas, stupid. Kind of, kind of the same dumb, uncompromising vision. You know my sister Jules, right? Obviously, and yeah. you know she's kind of a she's kind of a very strong person, kind of intense, uh, and she has this very you can do it, shut the fuck up and get through it kind of personality. Uh, and one of the things she says to a person is, "Okay, this thing you keep complaining about that's so annoying that you hate so much. How long do you have to do it?" And if they say, like, four hours, she's like, okay, just shut up, because anybody can do anything for four hours, okay? And, like, uh, every now and then, somebody will be like, eight months, and she'll be like, okay, shut the fuck up and do it. Anybody can do anything for eight months. And, like, just, it's two hours. Just shut the fuck up and get through it. Anybody can listen to anything for two hours. It's uh, it's Kimmy Schmidt cranking the, uh, the lights and counting to ten over and over again. That's what now and again is. Yes. So one of the things I noticed as I was listening to this now is there was a huge number of of artists that I kind of couldn't fucking believe were still on it this late. It almost seemed impossible when I was looking at this list that we had another Destiny's Child song, another Backstreet Boys song. Yeah. There's another ludicrous song, and we have, both of us, have come out swinging hard for how much we love Luda. But, like, it was reaching a point where I'm like, no, I'm sorry, there's not this many ludicrous songs. Stop it. And then all of a sudden, I'm looking and I'm like, oh, hey, wait, there's another BEP song. Oh, hey, that's like four artists in a row whose first appearance it is. And I know as a fact there are several more songs to come. In fact, a couple of these artists that we're going to debut today, nearly every single is on a now, and some of these artists appear on like four and five consecutive nows in a row. We also have a couple of people where it's sort of like, I had to look up, no way you have a second appearance. Lifehouse? Oh, Lifehouse, when we get to Lifehouse and we discuss the fact that Lifehouse has appeared once, and including this one, there are three more Lifehouse appearances, I can't even. Uh, Yeah, that's... That's wild. That's like saying we're getting um, another Len song at some point. It's like, what What are we doing? Like, That's not true. They are a one-hit wonder. Stop trying to make Fetch happen now. There were a couple of artists where I was just like, no. No, no, no. You had one single. Oh, wait, no, you had two singles. How did that happen? And I had to make a special category because you'd never believe some of these people had two singles that could be on Nows. And then there's an unbelievable three artists who appear only one time. Interestingly enough, each one kind of represents a fascinating facet of the Now Tapestry. One artist is a cover that has no business being on a Now. Yeah, well, which is we, a we know about theme Now. Yeah, we know about Now as cover fetish. There's a flash in the pan. One moment, this is going to be the next biggest artist in the entire universe who faded away very quickly. <clears throat> and there is a superstar long-term artist who makes their only appearance with a song that sucks. Oh, yeah. So, so it's sort of fascinating. Um, I will be identifying which category I think each song falls into and discussing a little bit why with some of the cold hard facts uh, that I was able to source through um, the magic of Google Internets. So. Love the Google Internet. So do you want to go, uh, do you want to do your categories or do you still want to go in track order? Oh, absolutely. I would like to... Uh, I would probably like to go in track order. Or, okay. I mean, what would you prefer? Track order has been how we've always done it. It has, but, you know, this is how many times do you get to turn 20? You're right. Let's do it in category order. All right. We're going to get weird with it today. I think the way to start off is always to start off um, with with a happy, upbeat thing to talk about. I think we should start with the artists who are about to start a pretty significant run. I'm into that. On now. While it's certainly not their first appearance, the Black Eyed Peas are about to begin an onslaught domination of the radio, commercials, tie-in products, food, uh, quick service 
fast food marts like 7-Eleven, I'm pretty sure they weren't a Slurpee cup. And you really can't convince me that they weren't. Um, Have you ever seen – um, I think I think it's NASCAR or like something like that. Like how um, when the dudes get out of the car, they're like wearing those onesies that are just like plastered with ads, like tiny ads all over it. Um, like I feel like Will I Am is the human equivalent of that. They're billboard singlets. He's just he's just like consumerism that to that was given a beat, and like that's not necessarily a bad thing. Like that is, you know, I'll be loading them ads. <laughs> if yeah, and, and I mean, I mean, he's half hologram too, so it makes sense that he's so in touch with uh, you know the the modern age. But like he is just like. Consumerism has a place in pop music. They go hand in hand. And I don't think anyone has figured it out quite as well or quite as annoyingly as Will I Am. Except maybe the Disney Corporation. Yeah. I mean, like, That's, yeah. it's that level of like tie in marketing products. I'm really surprised that every time the Black Eyed Peas drop an album, Will I Am doesn't drop like a learn to read along with the lyrics, cleaned up version, read along book on tape. Like, it's because it, one of the things about Will I Am songs is they are always accessible to all ages in terms of the lyrical level of difficulty, not the content, but like Will right. I Am really enjoys anybody being able to sing along. Mm-hmm. And yeah, Black Eyed Peas music is at like a third grade reading level. Okay, um, uh, that was really funny. I didn't I didn't see that coming. But this is off of, I want to say this is the second album with Fergie. I mean, we we did, what, what have we had of them so far? We had, uh, let's get parentheses, it started. Um, we had Where Is The Love. I think that was the, their first hit, right? Oh, no. Okay. So their first two records were Behind the Front and Bridging the Gap. Those were released in 98 and 2000, respectively. In 2003, they released Elefunk, which was the first record to feature Fergie. This song is off of their follow-up record, Monkey Business. This was the debut single from their second record with Fergie, a.k.a. their first record of, of, of any any great significance to the pop culture sphere. At this point, there's that magic that happens. When you release your first successful record, everybody's kind of got their eyes on you and they want to know what you're going to do next. And it's it's an investment in your future. Nobody's looking at you. When your first hit record hits, nobody's looking at you as what you are. They're thinking about what you're going to be. They're projecting who you're going to be next because invariably you're going to be re-enveloped into a different person sound-wise. That, that's, or you're going to be a carbon copy and then everybody gets, you know, really Linkin Park about you. But mm. it, it, one of the things is that first record could have been a fluke because it was that right. band that people had kind of heard of because it was a funny name for a band. And now all of a sudden it had the chick in it and Justin Timberlake was on that one song and their f- one song was called Shut Up and man, that Fergie chick's got attitude and Let's Get It Started was just like the fucking hit. And Black Eyed Peas were slowly going from band that you were beginning to recognize from the death of video culture and were transforming into the stadium band they became. And yeah. it's this was the beginning of that. This was the transition. And this was also the transition into uh, what we can even call Will I Am Speak, where Will I Am began to create and cultivate his own identity because it would have been too easy for them to become uh, the hip hop, no doubt. This band does have extraneous members that, you know, I think were thrown into a, a meat grinder at some point as well. Much like No Doubt. Yeah, yeah. But this is their 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 beginning. This is their their first their first foray into being the Black Eyed Peas as the Black Eyed Peas and not being the Black Eyed Peas, those people who released that record that they had to keep editing to to make more appropriate so people <laughs> could listen to them. Right. Um and I just uh, you know, I actually I defended them last time. I'm going to defend them again. They're a good time. If I'm drunk, they're a good time. If I'm stoned, exactly. they're a good time. If they're on the radio, they're a good time. I, I'm never like, fuck, I really want to listen to some BEP. But like sometimes I'm like, 
I actually really like Fergie. I think Fergie's great. I want to listen to Fergie. Like I said, he crafts these songs and the image and the band as a whole pretty perfectly. And he knows what they're going for. And it's a bunch of drunk people in a place where there is dancing and alcohol. And they can all sing and rub their genitals on each other. Maybe try to like get like an over-the-pants hand job in a corner. Um, that's like the Black Eyed Peas territory. And this is no exception. And it's going to be like that forever. You have to accept that. It's going to be here. It's certainly not good. I mean, I hate the phrase, it is what it is, because it's kind of just cutting off any kind of discussion at the knees. But I feel like that's very fitting for the Black Eyed Peas. They very much are what they are. Yeah, you know, we said that the the perfect age for an Eminem fan is middle school. And I think the perfect age for a Black Eyed Peas fan is where we were when this record came out. Um fresh uh, soft beginning of sophomore year of college at the same time i feel like their lack of any kind of connectivity to fans like the fact that they are so distant and mechanical in creating that image i don't like i don't know if there's anyone i've ever met or interacted with who would say that they were a fan of the black eyed peas like i feel like it's just more like oh yeah you know they've got some songs that i don't turn off I mean, I guess they must have fans because they have shows, but it's, I mean, I've never, it's a weird thought that people like go out of their way to listen to the Black Eyed Peas, honestly, more so than any other act that we've had on this show. Yeah. And that's something that I've always marveled at. Um, In order for Nickelback to have become the enemy, at some point they had to be the it. How do you justify that and, and rectify that and... And come to terms with that. (laughs) People have to want to go out of their way to listen to the Black Eyed Peas and not just when they're at parties. Somebody has got to be like, I mean, they are, they're a bar mitzvah gaze. (laughs) And like, that's got to be somebody's mood on a Tuesday. And I guess, you know? Yeah. I mean. Um, That's really all I got on. On, on the BEP. Yeah, that's going to be our conversation about them. Essentially forever. Just, I'm going to cut and paste this conversation, but filter out the name of the song. At least four more times yeah. in the next several now. Yeah, it's just going to be us talking and then there's going to be a hard cut to my humps and then just the rest of the conversation again. Uh, that would bring us to my next song on this list. Uh, unfortunately, the list will wind up crazy out of order at some point. It, it was about a fluid idea to me. Don't you by the Pussycat Dolls? Don't you wish your girlfriend was hot like me? Don't you wish your girlfriend was a freak like me? Don't you? Don't you? I have been hyping this song's appearance in terms of intellectual theft of sorts. Uh, I think since maybe the first now. I've been discussing how this song was originally recorded by Tori Alamaze and was re-recorded by the Pussycat Dolls, and, the, and the, the label decided to push the Pussycat Dolls version well over the Tori Alamaze version, ultimately launching the Pussycat Dolls into relative superstardom in a sense that Nicole Scherringer has been able to make a terrific career for herself. She started on reality TV with pop stars and uh, the WB's pop stars and um, recorded with a band called Eden's Crush, which was the winners of the pop pop search and um they had a song called get over yourself goodbye i think it was 98 ish uh she faded into obscurity the pussycat dolls were led by the woman who created them robin anton uh they had a lot of famous hosts come in and do a long spell with them uh most notably uh for long stretches christina applegate would go in and she was fantastic but uh, you know uh, in 2005, Christina Applegate was not going to lead a burlesque troupe to pop right. stardom with 12-year-olds, and they brought in Nicole Scherringer. Um, I actually did see them open for Christina Aguilera on the Back to Basics tour, and I'm going to tell you right now, they put on one fucking hell of a live show. I'm sure, especially if that's their background, though. Yeah, they were you know, basically a Vegas burlesque act. Exactly. That's the thing that I do want to clarify is when you say that they started off as like a burlesque thing, they had like a a tenure at the the Viper Room. They were very much a Las Vegas burlesque act and not like a real world burlesque act. Like these were always models 
and they always had money behind them. Like if you go to a burlesque show, maybe this is East Coast, West Coast rivalry here. I don't know. But like if you've seen a burlesque show, it's like it's the same kind of women who like during the early evening, they're doing roller derby and at night they're doing burlesque. Like it's very tied to um, uh LGBT communities and uh, punk communities. There's a lot of crossover, at least of the ones I've seen um, in New Jersey and stuff like that. It's not like this is very much that that Vegas style. It's not like they started from from that and rose to this. I just think it's worth clarifying. Yeah, I do think at one point the woman who started them would was like you know just a pasty in a dream or something. But at some point they definitely transitioned to yeah. big time. Mm-hmm. And that is where this came right. from. This wasn't a couple of women that were like, I think we can do something with this garage balance bar. <laughs> this was certainly a, a corporate endeavor. Right. Uh, you know, unsurprisingly, not, we're not talking about the pussycat dolls in terms of in a couple of years, they're going to record their anti-Trump, you know, album and it's going to win album of the year. We're not talking about great artists. No, we're talking about some really terrific performers who put on a good show and do a good do a good job and are are impressive live and are a good time. That's really all we can ask for from them as well. Especially when we talk and contextualize what we just did, um, how they kind of came from from a decision to market them. Yes. In regards to this song itself, um, I've always kind of had a... <sighs> I can't really put my finger on it, um, but I've had a distaste for the song pretty much for as long as I can remember. I came into it with an open mind now because so much, you know, as we've seen over the course of this show, so many of my opinions have refined and changed and matured. I still feel the same way about this song. I think it's... It feels like it's trying too hard um, in a lot of ways. I don't like it, top to bottom. It does nothing for me. It's not something that I think deserves any kind of um, reevaluation, honestly. Uh, yeah, I mean, I just think it's a fine song. I don't think it does any great thing for anybody. I don't think it's going to change anyone's lives. Like I said, it's it's the song we're discussing is just a, a corporate decision. Uh, next would be... Finally, after all this time, believing she was going to show up, finally Rihanna has come to the party. And uh, we have what is probably the most clever song ever designed for Rihanna. Not the best Rihanna song, but this song sells the package of Rihanna very well with Ponda Replay. Um, it gives her 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 flair, kind of some fun rhythms, uh, gives her an opportunity to kind of present this idea that she's this beautiful woman and uh, the way she elocutes is so beautiful and so and she's young and uh and like this was a song that was designed to launch Rihanna as a concept. Yeah. The, and I, I don't so. I don't think they knew what they had with Rihanna yet even just in how they're presenting her because to me I feel like the video especially just how they're presenting her and even in some ways the song doesn't feel like it has any of the Rihanna kind of signatures that we're going to come to know over the next couple of years but video and presentation wise she just feels she's presented just like another one of these um assembly line um female pop artists of color like she's Amory and sierra i feel like they're not going as hard as one day rihanna will be able to go yeah, they at this point they just think she's any pop mm-hmm. chick. Like they just think she's the next whoever. It really isn't until um, like Umbrella that or Disturbia, yeah, where there's there's a clear connection to the potential of the artist. Here she's actually kind of you know one of the things we've talked about is Rihanna. It can be very annoying. Mm. This yeah. is Rihanna well before annoying. Yeah, even yeah, and and I don't think uh, this is um this is not the first Rihanna song that I remember um this one kind of blew past me um and still like i don't i don't 
eh, it's okay. It's it's fine. Um, her next single, SOS, I think is really the one that kind of straps a rocket to her ass. Is SOS her next single? I think it is. It's early. It's the first time that I personally remember discovering her. Oh, that's crazy. I'm just looking it up. I don't like I'm not like trying to disprove you. I mean, I, I absolutely just... could be wrong. I would have guessed before this that it was the first overall. I f- it feels so much um, safer okay. to to send her out there with a fucking like recognizable sample, but I know it's first album. Pondery. No, it's second album. Oh, it's fuck me. Pondery Play followed by some song called If It's Lovin' That You Want. Then it was followed up by the next album, which had SOS, Unfaithful, We Ride, and Break It Off featuring Sean Paul. So they, they must have released albums like within a year of each other then. Oh yeah, she did um she did like six albums in five years or something. Okay. Studio albums. Okay. 2005, 2006, 2007, Jesus. 2009, 2010, 2011, 2012, 2016. Wow, okay. So, I mean, good for her taking some fucking time off, but... I mean, that shows that shows a lot. How did she have singles I, in those years with no album? I mean, it just shows that she is a... Well, you know, in the pop world, you don't get to be a working artist just because you're busting, busting your ass. You get to be a working artist because you have, you know, a catter of people behind you. But, like, she is constantly making art um and i mean in the more recent years she does have a lot more leeway with making her own art which rules because it's awesome um and almost like unilaterally there's a a great single off of every album she does uh but yeah like they must have recognized the success of this realized what they had had kind of like what i said and then strapped the rocket to her yeah for sure welcome Um, to the show so it's kind of all we have on her yeah that's really all you have on her for here. Um, we have an artist who I don't think is like a huge deal or anything, but Natasha Bedingfield with these words. Full of singles after this, um, pocket full of sunshine and love like this and unwritten. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe all four of them. I believe all four of her American singles do appear on Nows. They were all pretty significant hits somehow, despite being an artist that you know. There's that joke that's going around. Avatar is the you know the highest grossing film of all time with the least cultural impact. Mm. Uh, you know, Natasha Bedingfield, I think, sold, like, you know, a good 10 million records in, like, four years. And, like, I don't think anybody really gives a shit. I joked last now that Anna Nalik was, like, Grey's Anatomy. Like, it was made for that. Like, Natasha Bedingfield, I feel, is in that kind of VH1 mold. Um, but, her, you know, more upbeat. Like, instead of being on Grey's Anatomy, she'll... Her songs will appear in... On New Girl, on New Girl on Fox. Well, yeah, or like ads for Ladies Razors or something like that. Like, I feel like her songs just got pigeonholed into that kind of like, this is the the song that we play when chicks are supposed to be happy in, you know, in media. That that makes you a shitload of money getting, you know, giving your songs to stuff um, where it's going to be replayed even it's like 10 seconds at a time. Don't worry about Natasha Bellingfield. She's going to be fine forever. But, you know, her her music really did just get sent into that, like, we're selling shampoo with this mold. Well, and Easy A. She's, like, literally the most quotable thing from Easy A. It's There's a card, and it plays Pocket Full of Sunshine in the beginning of the movie, and Emma Stone keeps going, I got it. I got it. I got a pocket, got a pocket full of scent. Like she keeps playing with the card, and it's like a really memorable scene from the movie. And EZA has a very significant like cult following, and it, it's it's something she's also really well known for. Let's move on to a, a a powerhouse lady who I believe we might have seen once or twice, and we're gonna see like a crazy amount more. Uh, Kelly Clarkson, welcome to the show. Yeah, I don't think she's been on now Prime. I think we did uh, an omission with um, her American Idol victory lap song, whatever that thing was called. 
a moment like this? Yes, that's it. Thank you. Uh, and I think we might have talked about Miss Independent at some point. Could but, be. Um, I think, yeah, this is just like, you know, Kelly Clarkson was, was America's sweetheart for quite a while there. She was just like the it. She was the sweetest little thing and Breakaway is so, so thoughtful and sentimental and that Breakaway is actually like a really great record as a record. Mm-hmm. Like it, this is a pretty good piece of pop music. Yes. Um, all of I these agree. hits were massive hits for a good reason. Yeah, this was a record you loved too, right? It's it's I don't think it's cover to cover great, but it is good and all of the singles are pretty excellent. Um you really have to um like I get why people did American Idol for however many fucking years and then, you know, this last year for whatever reason. But literally anybody who became successful off of American Idol, whose name is still relevant, which I think is maybe three people, um, had to... The only way you can do that is to survive the album with their management. Just fucking try to make it through without being completely buried and having your career destroyed by their decisions. And then go and make an album with someone who knows what the fuck they're doing. Every single artist who became successful went away from American Idol's control and created significantly better art than they could have under their iron fucking grasp. Yeah, when you're, yeah, it's, I think it's kind of what we were talking about the Pussycat Dolls. You know, the Pussycat Dolls were corporately manufactured. I think actually Simon Cowell might have had something to do with the Pussycat Dolls, to be completely real with you. Um, and that's, yeah, I think everything you just said is spot on about. Like half of this now. Um, yeah, that's 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 probably. I feel like record labels just and and I don't know, not even worth bringing up. Fuck it, I'm gonna cut all that. Um, yeah, but I'm excited for what I think has to be Kelly Clarkson's next single. Um, and I don't want to talk a ton about Kelly Clarkson right now because I think we have so much to say about that song. Uh, but behind these hazel, behind these hazel eyes, which is a mouthful to say. Um, it's a fine song. I think her voice works a lot better with rock, with guitars and real drums behind it than it ever really did just as like ballady pop. I'm sure she can carry that because she's a great artist, but she's got that kind of, she's got a little, little bit of gravel in her voice. And I think um, leaning into rock works really, really well for her. And she's not as, oh, yeah. she's not as like bubblegummy as Avril Lavigne is going to lean into for pretty much her entire career. Um, there's just, you know, that slight bit of, of edge. Like, you think that, like, Kelly Clarkson, you know, maybe she might actually be able to outdrink you at a college party or something like that. Like, there, there's a little just a semblance of that realness to her where um, The Rock really, really does work. Where at the same, I mean, if you've ever fucking seen from Justin to Kelly, which I've done for research, um, like, she just, she never fit into into what they were trying to, to do with her. It was square peg, round hole. And I'm very happy that she was one of the few that got to quote-unquote break away from that grasp and i wish more of those artists did get to because there's probably a lot of really wasted talent from that miserable hell world show a hundred percent it was the horror stories about these people and how they had to fight for control any control of their career and uh, just a dreadful dreadful way to, to to bait people with their dreams um but i just did some quick research uh this song actually comes after Since You've Been Gone. Oh. And Since You've Been Gone is not featured on any American Now. No. It is featured on Now 13 in Denmark, which is ironically the same now with Don't Funk With My Heart. Wait, I thought I saw Since You've Been Gone on one of these. <gasps> is it really not on any of these nows? You've got to be kidding me. It's not, unfortunately. And I, I knew that's the song you were reaching for, and I just had to okay. jump in with the sad news. I'm sorry, pal. I completely agree with you, though, that this not being on it now is a travesty. There's going to be, you know, not that I, I mind the way our format has changed. I, I really do love the organic way we talk about these songs a lot more now. Um, but I do miss occasionally the... It almost becomes impossible to actually contextualize what's missing from these nows sometimes because yeah. you do have you have the occasional errant song. It's hard for me to rectify uh, and 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 like it's hard for me to imagine behind these hazel eyes the third single from Breakaway or fourth single because I think it's Breakaway since you've been gone. Wow. Yeah, they're both already passed. 
Um, so this is the third. Yeah, this is the third. And then after it's because of you. Um, Maybe every third now we should do like a a cleanup episode for like that year of nows and talk about other songs that made, you know, some splashes that year. Because fuck, like, I feel like we're just steamrolling some stuff. Yeah, maybe we need to take a month off. Maybe we need to take a pause from before 21 or something because we have to do that Rolling Stone 100 list to celebrate 20 nows. I would like to compile that list of all of the songs and all of the artists and actually count up who has the most now appearances because only through 20, though, only through 20, I don't want to go ahead of us um, mm-hmm. because if if I go through 20 there's going to be certain weird things like baby bash is going to have four fucking appearances and that's actually sure is. that's actually really considerable uh, because we're laughing at the fact that lifehouse has a total of four appearances in 34 nows which is still rather funny but even if you decontextualize that they only have one appearance in the first I'm sorry two appearances in the first 20 um that makes baby bash and Frankie J seem more significant than Lifehouse. And yeah. even if we're joking about yeah. the lack of significance of Lifehouse, we sh- we certainly can agree Lifehouse is vastly more significant than Frankie J or yeah. uh, Baby Bash. So I really I think we might just need to take twenty one off and like mm-hmm. like pause twenty one because we have so many things we need to discuss. The whole point of this experiment was to yeah. discuss where we were and where the music was and the music. The music isn't here. <laughs> no. No, this is honest, much like America. This has been a failed experiment in a lot of ways. Like, it's just, it, it, there was such lofty, lofty goals as a founding, as the founding fathers. We, we expected so much. And it turns out just the inherent way that we created this means it's falling to fucking shit. Yeah. So, okay. I, I, I think, yeah. I think realizing that Behind These Hazel Eyes is the first Kelly Clarkson song from the breakaway era featured on a now alarms us to some really severe realities. How many other songs have we just not realized? How many songs yeah. have we kazammed? You know what I mean? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Fuck. Um, yeah, we do. We need to go backwards. We need to roll. We need to roll the clock back. We got to go back, Marty. That's heavy, Doc. Oh. Family ties, Spin City. Oh, oh Michael J. Fox. Oh man. Oh man. I mean, look. If if you didn't know what Rick and Morty was inspired by, we we just accidentally did it. <laughs> We're so cute. What else? What else okay. is in the um? The the yeah. Let's finish up this chunk. I'm gonna actually. So I have a couple of. I have two that are kind of like iffy for each category, but I need to include them. Sure. You and Me by Lifehouse is a hello because Lifehouse inexplicably, this is their second appearance. And this is their first appearance was number seven with Hanging by a Moment, clearly. And now this is appearance mm-hmm. number two, number 20, with like the most wedding song of the year, You and Me. Um, they will appear. I just listened to it. And I don't remember it already. What is this? Herndon Warbrothers, Clark never seems to alive. I swear to God, he sounds like a tree that's trying to sing to you. <laughs> I love Pearl Jam. There's <laughs> also Cher, you know? I can't back down. It's like, it's right there. It's all in the same. It's like <laughs> yeah, Scott Stapp, Cher. It's like, no, yeah, Scott Stapp, Cher, yeah, that's actually pretty really better. I'm listening to it now, and that's pretty good. Are all pretty much the same person. Like, because uh, I mean, like, Cher should sing Jeremy, if you ask me. Jeremy Spokane. Like, it would be amazing. Right? And I would love to hear Eddie Vedder sing Believe. Yeah. Or Turn it's Back Time. Rock. Eddie Vedder just kind of like doing that wobble he does. Turn back time. You know what I mean? Anyway cut all of that so <laughs> um it, you and me by lifehouse hello guys welcome back to the program you've been missing for the vast part of your career i can't explain your two future appearances but i'm glad they exist uh for you guys you're you nice guys good live show uh, likable music their best song was on their first album it's a song called everything it's a really excellent powerful piece of music i should everybody should check it out um and that's, yeah, this is Lifehouse's second of four unbelievable appearances. 
Uh, I actually forgot that there's one more person on here. Um, the la- so one of the things that this category had in common is nearly every one of these artists, with the exception of Lifehouse being the funny inclusion, uh, nearly every one of these artists is going to have nearly every single after this included on a now. Some of these artists, like I said, are going to appear four and five nows in a row. Uh, Fallout Boy, Sugar, We're Going Down, which I swear to God I never would have believed came out while we were in college, but yeah. um, it apparently did. Here it is. Um, you know, Fallout Boy. If, if Fallout Boy's first time on a now is Sugar, we're going down, which is 2005. I immediately have a problem with this. Like I'm, I'm, I'm piecing things together. Fallout Boy's been back together forever already, and if Fallout Boy's been back together forever already, that means they broke up forever long ago. Which means they couldn't <laughs> have been together that long when they broke up and then decided they had to get back together to save rock and roll. And I just kind of want to be like, guys, usually I'm on your side about these things. I actually really enjoy Fallout Boy. Oh, I think, um, yeah. I actually think the the song titles are kind of funny, and I sort of think like, I sort of think their song titles make them and Fiona Apple comedy and drama masks. Fiona Apple okay. is the tragedy mask, and and um, oh, what's his name? Muppet Muppet Good Voice. No, Muppet Good Voice. Oh, Pat Patty Stump. Muppet Good Voice. What's his name? Patrick he's so Stump. fucking ta- uh, Patrick Stump. Yeah, that's so amazingly funny. Uh, he's so fucking talented. He's so he talented. Sounds like he's got fucking marbles in his mouth. I don't care. That fucking voice is is everything. That voice can oh do anything. God. It's an unbelievable. I literally can't understand half of what he is singing in any song. Yeah, I will admit. He's not enunciating any syllables in any of the words he's ever said. Actually, I think I think the problem, you know, okay, uh, every now and then somebody will say, oh, okay, do you ever know somebody that that people are like, oh, it's not that they're strange or rude, they're just so smart, they have trouble interacting with people. Like, my favorite thing to say to that is, no, fuck you, and stop encouraging and 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 enabling this. Stop enabling bad behavior because you don't know how to confront a person about their bad behavior because you like them and you find them endearing. Stop that. Um, I uh, I kind of think like that's kind of the situation with Patrick Stump's pronunciation. <laughs> Nobody's willing to be like, dude, I can't understand you. Yeah, right, and because. Uh, and I also think the problem is that it's not that he's under pronouncing. I think he is um, over pronouncing because oh, he's okay. not kind of like because he's not like it's nothing like that. He doesn't sound like the fucking meow mix commercial. <laughs> he like it's no for real. Nobody's speaking Nordic. It's sure. he's like we're going da da in a boiba. Yeah, and you know, I'm an evil. I'm a little man, and I'm also evil, also into cats. And like, you do. Anyway, they're great. They're so fucking talented, and I would, I would, I would rail a couple of them. I want to say about they represent a real change in in pop punk. As the as the resident pop punk guy, I kind of want to talk about that. What what this is going to do, and what their success changes, and. I think you can draw that line kind of from 2003's, I think 2003's, um, Deja Entendu by Brand New. I think they really kind of um, changed the landscape of what pop punk is going to be. Because prior to that, pop punk was kind of like the the jester's genre, you know? Like funny dudes doing silly shenanigans, um, you know, jackass in an MP3, essentially. Uh, with your Blink-182s and your Sum-41s. Deja Entendo by Brand New is kind of what every band that comes after this that does pop-punk is clearly influenced by. Not so much by the sound, because the sound is still very much that pop-punk, play the root notes, 4-4, four, four, um, five chords, two of them are only in the bridge kind of thing. Tonally, pop-punk is going to become very narcissistic and very misogynist where that was not the case before um this song is not that because this song actually i find kind of fascinating because i think it's it's clearly about 
um, a guy who is in love with another guy who is straight. Um, I think that's textual if you just look at the lyrics. Um, so that is not, this is not one of those songs, but Fall Out Boy is going to fall into that very narcissistic, uh, very misogynist kind of camp that bands like Brand New and Taking Back Sunday kind of maybe inadvertently or were unaware just would push the entire genre um, for a long time, at least until I walked away from it entirely. And that's, I don't know how much pop punk we're really going to get that isn't brand new, uh, sorry, that isn't Fallout Boy anymore, but it is worth noting that that is uh, the direction that pop punk is taking in 2005 at this point. It's not just like, girls don't like me because I'm an idiot. It's like, girls don't like me and fuck them. And that's a really complicated relationship to have with half of your listening base. Yes. Yes, it is. That's a really complicated way to interact with your fandom. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I just don't understand it. I think that's kind of why it wasn't a super surprise to anybody when it came out that Jesse Lacey was um, not a Harvey Weinstein sex creep, but like an Aziz Ansari sex creep. Uh, not that one is better than the other. Uh, well, I guess it's it's not a race to the bottom, but you, you get what I'm saying. Um, it, yeah. it, no one was super surprised that people in that genre were gross to women. That is correct. Huh, yeah, anyway. Um, who else? Well, so I'm going to switch us over to Two Times a Charm. The following three acts, inexplicably, have two appearances on Nows. Both of these now other appearances are within four Nows of this. These are artists who had no great lasting power. One of the things about Now That's What I Call Music is, as the name implies, it's Now. It's just what's popular right now. And mm -hmm. occasionally they make calls and they're not always the right call you know do you include the less popular second single or not um do you include the minorly popular first single when you see the second single starting to rise you kind of get that 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 sort of place and we have three of those this record that would be uh let's start with must be nice by life jennings uh life jennings is super fucking super cool dude uh Makes really awesome music, like really well constructed R and B. Uh, okay. Incredibly talented guy. Um, never somebody that belongs on a now. Do you remember mm. when we came across the second Nora Jones song and we were like, "What the fuck yeah, is it, this doing here?" Yeah, and it didn't quite, um, it didn't quite fit into what we knew of Nora. Well, what I knew of Nora Jones from that one single, which means what every single fucking person who um, was listening to the radio, knew of Nora Jones. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. Um, this is a song, it's a great song, it's a cool song. Uh, mega, I super enjoy uh, Life Jennings. Um, I just don't think this is a now song. And that's no. just one of those things. Every now and then we come across a song that's just not a now song to me. Mm -hmm. And we either have to be okay with it. Uh, to us, we both discussed it, that there's songs where it almost bothers us that they're on here, even if they're a great song. Um, right. I, I think this is just one of those songs. And, uh, you know, he may be off now, but he's he's not done. He's still making music he's still out there he's playing oh yeah me in two weeks uh he's like on tour right now um so you know he's some super artists, talented yes yeah, some artists you know they they fall off the now grid um much like i think the next one you're going to refer to but they're they're still they're still out there they're still making music you cultivate that fan base um some of them some of them most of them um maybe will go away but some of them are at least enough to tour in smaller venues they don't and you have that forever yeah um I, like I said, like, I actually think Life Jennings is massively talented. He's just not a now artist. Yeah. Um, the next person I would like to point to is I Think They Like Me by Dem Franchise Boys. Mm -hmm. Oh, I think they like me. Oh, I think they like me. Yeah, 
And, you know, I looked up their second song, Lean With It, Rock With It, also, and that's going to be on the next now. Also... That's two pretty memorable songs. Yeah, I, I remember those songs really well. Yeah, they're actually... That's what I just said. Two really memorable songs. Yeah. That's like, as I called them memorable, you said you remember them. Like, that's... <laughs> Really, an interesting thing that both of us are like. You know what? I couldn't have named them Dem Franchise Boys for in a fucking million years, but I sure know these two songs if they came on. But what's even more interesting to me is they both also feature Jermaine Dupri and Bow Wow. Yeah, um, I, I would argue that the um, kind of like when we saw D twelve with Eminem, um, the the guests uh, kind of also probably with the Bow Wow song on this now, um, the guests elevate the rest of the song much higher yeah. than the artists alone ever could have for certain um it's a catchy song it's a it's a strong song it kind of gets stuck in your head oh i think they like me like you know it you mm-hmm. still know how to say it you still remember the rhythm it's fun to say tauntingly that's something we've kind of come across a lot the more taunting the song the more memorable it seems yeah um, there is like this gang vocal atmosphere it's like 12 people in a circle and one jumps in and does this thing while the rest are just like egging it on it's like it's like a the rap version of a World Star knockout compilation, essentially. And when, you know, it is repetitive, it's got that kind of chanting chorus throughout, and that chorus goes on for a long time. Um, but when people look at hip-hop now, and I think this does have some um, some very early trap underpinnings to the production, um, though it's it's obviously not where it is now, there's just some, some sprinklings of that in the snare here. When people now are like, oh, they're, they're just fucking saying Gucci Gang 35 fucking times. Yo, that never, that's not new. That's always been here. No. That never went away. That's, what, that's yeah. what happens in this genre, okay? And speaking of songs that are trapped by their genre, to a faltering point, Franz Ferdinand's Do You Want To? Uh, yeah, we, we stand pretty hard for um, Take Me Out, but uh, not a now song <laughs> uh, at all. They tried, they kind of, I think, I don't know when this happened. It might be a song that we missed. Um, maybe it did happen, or maybe it was a... Oh, no, this song definitely happened. Remember. No, I'm talking about Modest Mouse, because they, I think, are in a similar boat to Friends Ferdinand, where they had that one big indie hit, and then they were like, they well, can we get a on. second one? Yeah, and when they tried to get the second one, it's just like, no, thanks for coming, though. And the thing about it is, uh, I'm going to make a kind of unflattering comparison for poor Friends Ferdinand. I appreciate us even coming out for Take Me Out, right? Mm-hmm. This song sounds enough like Take Me Out that it's annoying, right? <sighs> yeah. To that, I, And to that I say, I think Franz Ferdinand is the Rick Astley of proto-rock. Wow. I, you know what? That one really catchy song, yeah. and everybody does the... Dun, 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 dun. Like, it's the same thing. That's yeah. that's the same thing as as doing you know together forever yep. and ever to part in the funny voice, and then yeah. it's the other song that it goes right into. It's it's yeah. it's so much the same. I think there's a strong comparison there, and if I say mm-hmm. there's a comparison, it's obviously true. And I think rock radio just didn't have enough room. For these kind of these kind of driving synco uh, sync with um uh, what the fuck is the phrase sync uh, syncopation? Ah. Yes, thank you. Um, I've You're been drinking uh, bad beer. Um, it, with with that driving rhythm and the syncopation, um, like you had the Strokes. Uh, the Strokes might have no. I think you still had like um, Reptilia. Maybe was coming out. You had the Bravery with an honest, an honest mistake. Um, you maybe had a, a, a Hives song at this point. Uh, there just wasn't room for another one like this. And if you're not going to change up your sound ever so much, I mean, then even if, if you're going to rock radio and college radio, Interpol is doing this better there. Uh, there's there's wasn't room for Franz Ferdinand to not be at the top of their game, essentially. And this is not um, this is not a fantastic song. No, it's it's just a song. That's mm-hmm. what's really interesting. It's just a song. You get Take Me Out, and everybody's like, holy shit, what a song! And then, like, mm-hmm. you get this, and it's just a song. It's kind of like, to recontextualize something, it's like, imagine Elton John releases your song. 
And everybody's like, wow, this is incredible. And imagine if his follow-up to your song was something ridiculous, like the Macarena. And, <laughs> like, uh, you'd remember it because it'd be tragically funny. You'd never stop laughing at it. But imagine he followed up your song with, like, a really less impressive version of your song that you've already heard. You'd be pretty bored pretty yeah. fast. Exactly. But I think including them here was because the song was just popular enough that they could try to make the argument that maybe they'd have a follow-up hit that would right. matter. For sure. So. Do you think that nows are made like those – um <laughs> Like those, like, build your boyfriend memes where it's like, you have $50, $15 for a good head of hair, $3 and he won't beat you. And, like, is it like, well, we paid $18 for Destiny's Child, now we've got $2, I guess, Franz Ferdinand. Like, do you, I, I would love to know how Nows came to be. Because it, it does feel like there's filler, but there never should have to be filler on a compilation album. If I'm not mistaken... It is that the now franchise shifts record labels so that yeah. everybody gets a stake in it. Yeah, we, we've seen that and, on the Wikipedia, but haven't really seen much writing about how these are made. And, and yeah, that's our best guess, I think. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, they fill it with their own crap. Mm -hmm. And it's because uh, that's all I got, man. Otherwise... Yeah. Otherwise, there's no explanation for Baby Bash. <laughs> nope. Nope. Like, you know, this month, oh, oh, Warner has it, so we're pushing Baby Bash. Now, this month, uh, Universal has it, so let's see if we can get Franz Ferdinand's second single to get higher than 85. And if we can push in one more Destiny's Child single, we can put them on, you know, the sticker, and that will sell them better to certain markets, and it will sell them better to people who buy things on name recognition and not song recognition. Right. So let's use a less known Destiny's Child song that we can get for way cheaper under the understanding that the caveat that Destiny's Child's name carries allows us to pretend there's a Destiny's Child song you know on mm -hmm. here. Yep, because if you remember those... Those commercials for Nows, uh, it was literally just a dude screaming at you, Kelly Clarkson. And yeah, they'd play some of the song, but what remembers that guy going, and Destiny's Child, Rihanna. And, and part of parents just hear those names. Yeah, they would play the song by the first person they said, say three more names over the first person's song. Yes. And then say a few, that's how they would be able to say, Destiny's Child! And then it would turn out it's not a Destiny's Child song mm -hmm. you knew at all, because you would still be listening to Ponder Replay by exactly. Rihanna. And you don't know the fucking name Rihanna yet, but you sure do know you fucking love Ponder Replay. So they say Destiny's Child's name very clearly for you to hear it at a point where their name catches your attention over Ponder to replay who you don't know who the fuck it's by but you know you like it was a really great marketing scam it's something they can't pull off anymore dvr killed the ability to market things no. via commercial and yet somehow now still exists right well because the internet but um and that's pretty much the two times the charm category uh, do we want to save this seems like we're about halfway through do we want to save this for side b and call side a now yeah, as always, you guys can find me over on Instagram at Nico Vasillo or making music on Facebook over at Facebook.com slash Action Duo. Don't forget to check out Kid Riot over at KidRiotComics.com. You can check out all of our amazing new content along with our um, big Pride special that we're releasing, uh, celebrating being queer and cool and awesome. Um, yeah, a lot of good stuff over there. Check it all out. I'm at Chris Podcasts on Twitter, and I'm also uh, Chris Podcasts. New host of this season of Cinemakers with Cage Club owner, CEO, CFO, etc., uh, Joey and Mike. And we are talking Christopher Nolan's filmography, top to bottom. And there's very little bottom in his filmography. We have a good time over there. Check out cageclub.me for all of our liner notes and cool stuff that we've referenced throughout the show. I just want to say they sent out a thing to sign up for the next season of Third Time's a Charm, and I had so much fun doing it on Alien um, that I, I like tried to sign up for like everything Marvel and also a lot of other like dumb crap. <clears throat> um, and you might have even noticed I, I subtly put in a, a little sucking up, put it uh, Second Time's a Charm in the episode. So, you know, just 
whatever, just for your consideration, it's no big deal. You might just, you know, not like we have a lawyer like listenership or anything, guys. If you want to yeah. like help me get on there, you guys should definitely like write in. It's kind of like when like they have to save Tinkerbell by like believing in fairies. If you <laughs> believe in this fairy, I just might get to do the thing I want. So send in all of your fan letters and and locks of your hair and what else? What else is Mike interested in? Um, I I don't know, but I know that we're interested in iTunes reviews. You can give us a whole bunch of those, and then uh, you know more people hear us, and we'll get this really cool and huge listener base, and we can go on tour and and do this live in like fifteen years or something like that. Um, oh, I can't wait for our archive- I can't. I have a thing, by the way. You can totally cut this because this is just garbage um, and it's so stupid, right? And it was one of those things where like – so I have shower headphones. Make of that what you will. And they're really horrible because I don't need them for the sound quality. Um, Excuse me. And so they make things sound really distorted. And I was – I happen to be listening to our podcast. They're just such shitty headphones. I have to throw them out, but I just won't. And they've had so much water logged in them. And there was this funny noise in the background. And it kind of came over one of those terrible like sound bleed echoes we tend to get. Mm-hmm. And it sounded like me talking about you talking to me. <laughs> and I was like, oh, check it out. It's like the commentary from our Criterion collection. Oh, my God. I wonder if they're going to do like collections of podcasts. Oh, my God. I wonder if podcasts are going to get re-released in different formats. Oh, my God. I wonder if people are going to do commentaries on podcasts. Oh, my God. Are other people going to do commentaries on other people's podcasts? What the fuck is going to happen? Is somebody going to get to the point where they're doing a commentary on a commentary of a podcast? Because theoretically, all a podcast is is somebody talking about something they're thinking about. So if somebody is talking about somebody else talking about something they're thinking about, it's still just a podcast about a podcast. So every Every layer of commentary on a podcast becomes a meta podcast on top of another podcast. I just – and I guess I'm trying to get into this – the Inception episode, but I yeah. just – it's <laughs> I was going to make the same joke. God damn it. So um, <sighs> I guess yeah. what I'm trying to say is – I really look forward to when uh, – because I've had this opportunity given to me before. The amazingness that our Mike and Joey uh, enable me way too much. Uh, One time Joey said that he's literally eager to hear me go in and commentary on the non-Nico episodes of Now. Oh, yeah. He said that. He has said it multiple times, actually. And part of me really would love to be able to do it. Uh, But, you know, something you said in the beginning of the episode, I actually did love the episodes that don't have me. Um, I'm happier with them gone. No offense. But, like, (laughs) I I do love the original contributors. They they help shape the show. I was just meant to be a guest host. And if it weren't for the other hosts helping – Explore pop music. We never would have found the groove that pop music needed to take. And it's really cool for me that I got to be the person who represented what what was needed. Um, Yeah, a number of your guests were like, I didn't really listen to music. And so (laughs) this is kind of funny. But um, well, yeah, without them being so shitty, I, I would have never realized how good you were. Not without them being so shitty, without them bringing their unique perspective and that what they had to say, which sometimes wasn't um, wasn't too different from what you have to say. It, Don't worry, this is all getting cut. <laughs> oh, I love this. I And I actually mean this too. Like, uh, a lot of what you had to say and what your guests had to say just lined up too much for it to be as dynamic as two mm, people that like yeah, to I argue agree. about the fundamentals. Yeah, I don't so. really run with a, um, uh, I am the poppiest of, of my crew by far, um, which really comes out when I'm playing music and when they're playing music. Um Something I didn't quite so much realize um, going into this. I need someone with a deeper pop knowledge than me, or else it is just kind of talking dumb about pop music, and that's that's a not that that's interesting. Equal to this, yeah, yeah. Um, that's S anyway. Uh, that's S now. Um. Uh, that's it. Uh, anyway, yeah. So uh, that's it. iTunes reviews would be awesome. Yeah, we'll catch you on the flip side with the rest of Nico's list. <laughs>